Welcome to the Write It Down podcast with the 1513 Network. I'm Brooke Murata, bringing you one-on-one interviews to challenge, to inspire, and to encourage. On today's episode, we will be discussing the importance of chasing your dreams. I cannot think of a better person than this next guest to inspire all of us to do just that. Marcus Allen is a Heisman Trophy winner, six-time NFL Pro Bowler, Super Bowl MVP, and NFL Hall of Famer. While Marcus accomplished many feats on the football field, at the core of it all, he is a big family man with strong beliefs and morals. I cannot wait to share this episode with you. Get your pens ready, because this is Write It Down. You played football for a very long time. Uh, You won Rookie of the Year in 1982. I could sit here and spout out all these facts about you to yourself that you already know. But I kind of want to transition into who you are now. Um, You shared a story with me about how you were um, watching a game on TV and you decided in your head, I don't want to be on this side of the TV. I want to be on the field. Um, Can you kind of revisit that story for me and like the steps that you took to do that? Well, the age was 10 years old, and um, I love sports. I was watching football, and um, I can't remember the game specifically, but I do remember uh, making a conscious decision saying that's what I want to do, and that's what um, (laughs) – I was just thinking back for a second. Yeah, that's what I want to do, and I made a conscious decision uh, at that time to say – I want to be uh, someone who plays the game and not who watches the game. And um, so I, I, I did. I, I guess I was living the secret before the, the you know, the, the book was written. Mm. You know, I, 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 I put things out to the universe and um, but not just sort of relying uh, or, or just dreaming, but sort of putting work to those dreams. So I mean, I mean, everything I saw on television, I, I went out and and tried to um, emulate uh, um, every single time. <laughs> um, my parents used to, at least my mom used to say, I was the first one out of the house uh, for sports, but the last one out of the house for everything else. So um, I was I was really an ambitious kid, uh, but I, I did have these dreams and. I didn't work for those dreams. At at any point, did those dreams like scare you, or did were you like, "All right, I'm in over my head. This is not working." Because dreams don't happen overnight. So when you were discouraged, um, how did you deal with that? How did you overcome those doubts? I was never fearful of my dreams. Um, I was I was excited. Um, that they were taking shape and form and, and that they um, were becoming reality. And, and when I say that, it's like, well, that particular dream obviously didn't happen until years later. But at a, um, at a young age, you see um, and recognize that you're a little bit better than most um, um, athletes that you're performing against, uh, that you have a greater awareness that you have a, um, um, a little more, you know, quicker rec- uh, recognition uh, to a situation than most uh, kids do. So what happens is you see these dreams start to take shape and form, and they happen uh, in a pop Warner level, and then 
then gravitate to a high school level and then eventually to a, a collegiate level and professional level. Uh, going back, um, I even, I know you have, uh, you talked about writing it down. Um, I, at 11, said I wanted to win the Heisman Trophy, and I had a speech, and I used to stand in the mirror uh, and, and, and congratulate everyone for, for helping me out, my mom, my dad, my school. <laughs> I used to do that um, on a consistent basis. Uh, later, that, that came to fruition. So I don't think anything really happens by accident. I think you have to sort of, um, one, uh, make a decision on what you want, and then two, work toward, towards it. But I think recognizing what what we want is probably one of the most important things. A lot of times we're just sort of throwing things uh, at a dartboard and hoping some, you know, we, we hit it as opposed to having a target and going after it. Yeah. So you prepped for the platform you wanted, which is something that yeah. I feel like people should take away. Like the dream doesn't happen overnight, but the preparation for the platform that you want um, is a grind every single day. And I had asked you the last time we spoke, when did you know you were Marcus Allen? Like you went from just like a somebody to or a nobody to somebody. And you said about can you share the story about the letter letterman jacket in high school? <laughs> yeah, I uh, uh, I played for the Lincoln High um, Lincoln High Hornets in San Diego. Uh, a very, very uh, what most people consider a very tough school. Um, and um, I thought very highly of myself. I had Mister Marcus Allen. I love that on on my Letterman jacket. Um, I'll take a I'll, matter of fact. What I'll do is I'll take a picture of it and I'll send it to you. Please. <laughs> so you can see it now for a seventeen-year-old uh, year old kid to to put Mister on there. Uh, um, I, I I one I thought that um, I wanted to be somebody, but two I wanted to be seen in a different light, obviously not as, you know, a kid, mister, but you, your ambition is to be looked upon in a, in a very, very respectful way. So I wanted to be Mr. Marcus Allen. Um, and in high school that, um, we ended up winning the, 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 um, the high school championship in football there. And it, and it really sort of, and the way we conducted ourselves and, I'd like to think that that image that I had of myself as being Mr. Marcus Allen manifested itself into a respect that we had at our school for winning the championship that hadn't been there for a long time because we were looked upon in a very, very negative way. So um, I think that whole sort of, you know, um, ambitiousness um, that I had and, and, and wanting to be respected in that process, uh, it did sort of change things around, not only for me, but for us too. And so in that, as a 17 year old boy, um, at the time, and you're viewing yourself as this, and it's, it's, you know, you've mentioned ego, but at the same time, it's this, it's this confidence that you carried, um, would that be due to your home life and the fact that your parents were still together? And like, did that play obviously a vital role? Oh, absolutely. Um, 
I didn't have to look any further than the dining room table for my role model, who was there every single night, yeah. uh, and my mom. It's interesting, uh, you know, a lot of times moms don't get the credit they deserve, but my mother was sort of the uh, uh, the the glue, certainly. But the dad was the head of, head of the family, um, and he had very, you know, firm uh, rules and regulations. But yet there was a leniency to him that allowed us to sort of uh, do things that other kids um, weren't able to experience. Um, you know, he pushed the envelope a little. I mean, I was driving at 13, which I shouldn't have been doing. <laughs> but he, uh, yeah, he allowed us to, to, to do certain things. He allowed us to grow. Yet, he was very firm on uh, school, um, being a good, you know, being a good person, uh, staying out of trouble, all those things, doing your work. I mean, we had work around the house that we were required to do. We had to be in by 12, um, you know, it was big men on campus. And I had to be home by midnight. Didn't matter who um, I was and, 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 and what I accomplished, the, you know, the, the, the game uh, before. I had to be home by 12. And... Um, so he was he 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 was very firm, um, and 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 when I said my mother was the glue, but my mother was also firm. I the funny thing that that I uh, remember growing up was uh, was that I don't ever remember my mom hugging me very much. I'm sure she did, but I don't remember it. And then later I um, I said to her, "Why do you, I don't feel like you hug me very much?" She says, "Marcus, I was trying to raise strong boys." And which is interesting now, I go home and I'm, you know, I'm over 50 years old. My mother's, as soon as I go to the door, she's running, grabbing me and hugging me. You know, how you doing? I'm good to see you. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't remember that much when I was growing up. But I know she did. Absolutely. Because, I mean, I know she loved me. Right. But I just don't remember that part of it. And and then I asked her and she said, I was trying to raise strong boys. I wasn't trying to, to baby you guys. And stuff. So, And I really appreciated that. So. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like the structure that you had in place at home, um, you were kind of able to take that into obviously your career, but just in your, your daily life. Um, not only did I have that structure, but I also had my, uh, my, my grandmother yeah. and, and grandfather too. So I had a, sort of a, 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 you know, great support group and my aunt and uncle, I mean, I was surrounded by really, really good people. And my father made sure that, um, and he made a point to raise us and not let anybody else outside our family circle, you know, and that was really um, important. But I had a lot of love and a lot of support. Um, there, there, there wasn't a game that I didn't play that uh, my, 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 either my grandparents or my, uh, my aunts and uncles uh, did not make. I always looked in the stands and saw family support, so... That was that was very important. So I, I was raised by that village. I had I had that village. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned before to me that your dad was kind of like the neighborhood dad, um, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yes. So it was kind I of was, like I, people looked up to him as well outside of you. They did. I, I and you, as you're when you're a kid, you don't you don't know. You don't know how important it is or how impactful and that 
you know, your dad is picking up uh, a lot of the kids in the neighborhood. I mean, at that time, you're just like, hey, come on, get your own dad. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you don't you don't know how important it is. But um and looking back and and whether it's an event uh that my older brother puts on that a lot of people support, there's a lot of guys that we used to play sports with growing up with that go to my dad and say, Mr. Allen, thank you for you know, for taking the time wow. to uh to be there and, and to pick us up and, and to and uh, to help us out and take care of us and stuff. And while you're growing up, you're too young to, to, to see the big picture and how important that is. You're just sort of, you know, you're selfish. You, you know, you, you want them to get their dad and you have your, your dad all to yourself. But later you realize how large that is and how important it is and, um, and how meaningful that is and stuff. So, and as a dad uh, yourself, what are the things that you try to mirror that you saw in your dad and also your mom? And like you said, you were kind of raised by a village. So do you, do you want to um, do that in your son's life? Are there people around you in your life that you're like, wow, I want them to influence my son. Oh, absolutely. I, um, I, I think the number one thing is being present. Mm. Um, and number two is that your son hears every single day, I love you. Yeah, especially from his and dad. Num- yes. And number three is is that, um, you know, you have to treat him like a gas tank. you got to fill him up every day. And, and some of those ingredients is tough love. And it's got to be discipline. It's got to be, you know, um, honesty. Um, it's got to be structured. Uh, it's important that I do those things and not anybody else. But, um, my, my wife, Lauren, has a, a basketball team that she coaches, an AAE basketball team that she coaches, Brooke. And it's sad um, that many of those kids, uh, matter of fact, I think maybe over five, I'm not quite sure, that the dads are in, in incarcerated. Mm. So um, I, I know how important a father is in a household. Uh, moms go, you know, they, they go without saying, but the, the, the father is the most important, I think, um, part of a good upbringing. I, I, he has to be there. It's uh, because the father um, is looked upon, especially by the son, and um, and and the daughter as well. Uh, let's, let's not make that mistake, but it's important that the, the head of the household uh, and, and and what he shows them. Uh, for example, if you know, I mean, I teach him how to the way I treat Lauren is the way he will grow up, understanding what love about love is about. And, and how to and how to treat a woman and stuff like that. So it's important for him to see all the right things. Uh, so what we do, what we say, all those things have um, certainly you know, are meaningful and very very important because he's going to mimic those things. So we got to make sure uh, what he sees and, and, and what he hears are the good things, or only good things rather. Yeah. As so, if your son comes to you when he's, you know, 
11, 12 years old and he presents you with this dream that he has. And it might not look like the dream that you had as an 11 year old. And he presents this dream to you. How are you going to um, influence that in the sense of you don't want to hand him everything, but you obviously have this huge love for your son and you want what's best for him. So how do you think you're going to find that balance between wanting to just hand it to him, which you won't, um, but also just kind of being his biggest cheerleader and coach? Well, uh, I try to hand him very little. Uh, It's difficult sometimes not to. Uh, You end up doing that anyway, but um, I I think there's no nothing more important than than working towards your dream. I think that there's a I think studies have shown what I've seen over the years when kids are giving things there's a lack of appreciation Uh, they don't embrace it as, as as much as they should. When you have a dream, I think, as a parent, my number one goal as it relates to that is to give your kid all the information that he can possibly need that he can make a proof decision on if that's what he wants to do. And then two, if he does, then support him. And, and, And three, be honest with him about, you know, his his you know, where he's coming up short, what he needs to do. Um, you know, this is your, this is your child. You don't, <laughs> you, you, you have to set him up to succeed and, and, and you have to give him a toolkit so he can navigate his way through life and be successful. And, and, and part of that is failure too. And part of that is, is losing um, to understand it, but don't accept it, and 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 and, and using that as a you know as a as a platform to succeed. I think a lot of times, um, one 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 thing that happened to me um, a long a long time ago was when I was I was the best player on the team in high school, and I didn't want to um, I didn't want to play quarterback. I was a defensive back. I like hitting people, and the coach wanted me. I, he thought that I was would help the team if I played quarterback. I didn't want to, but anyway, I I went from you know the defensive side of the ball to the offensive side of the ball and got her in the center and fumbled the ball eight times in a row. And he knew I did it on purpose, and he kicked me off the team. Mm. And uh, I couldn't believe that he did that. So I went in the locker room, took a shower, had, you know, got dressed, went home. And just couldn't wait till my dad uh, got home, so I could tell him. And I thought he was going to be livid. And he said, to my surprise, and I'm really glad that he said this. It's like, well, that's the, that's between you two. And he didn't rescue me. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times we rescue our kids. Uh, and, and, and of course, there's clear situations when we should, but a lot of times we we have to allow them how to to troubleshoot, how to how to correct things on their own, and so they can you know uh, navigate their way through lives without their parents. And we're always not going to be there, so they're going to have to make smart decisions, and sometimes they're going to have to apologize and say, "Okay, um, I'm going to do it your way." Um, 
a lot of times, obviously, we have, you know, as, as kids, we have plans to do a lot of things, and we want to do it one way. And there's <laughs> sometimes uh, that, that's uh, we're going to have uh, moments when they're presented to us that it's not going to be that way. So they're going to have to be able to sort of uh, adapt, move on, accept, um, and, and make it happen. It's kind of like letting your kids struggle but not suffer. Because there's a difference between yeah. struggling and suffering. Yeah. I think it's nece- those things are necessary. I mean, because life is not just uh, a uh, you know an upward trajectory. Sometimes you know you take a dip here and there, and um, I think it's good for them to see the dip. They can appreciate the dip, and they can work their way through it, and and, and then uh, you know hit the ascension button again. I think those things are important. Uh, if you, if you delusionary if you think that everything in life is going to be absolutely perfect it's not we're going to take a quick break from our show to discuss patreon patreon is a secure site that allows creators to make albums videos and podcasts like the one you're listening to now so if you enjoy write it down please head over to our website xvxiii.com or spell out 1513.com in your browser click on the patreon banner at the top of the page and show your support Write It Down is made possible by the 1513 Network, so please send over your love, your support for the other shows as well. If not, just stick with Write It Down because I'm the coolest, the realest, the illest. Anyways, back to the show. So what's something in your life that you reflect on and it was like the most negative part of your life? Maybe the most negative experience, maybe the most negative press, just something that really shook you and it made you go back home and just like, all right, I need to get back with my roots. I need to find out who I really am. Kind of that identity versus role thing. Like your role was a football player. Now your role is a dad, um, but your identity well, kind of stays the same. Well, I, can I tell you something? I was, I'm very lucky and, and, and maybe it's because, because of my upbringing, but I always knew that that's what I did. It's not who I am. And so football is what I did, but it, it wasn't who I was. And so when I had those struggles, uh, for example, my issue with the Raiders when they, they didn't, uh, let me, you know, play, um, it was easier for me to deal with that situation because of who I was and how I was brought up, and 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 what that I um, and what I knew that eventually uh, the storm passes over, and whether you know it's <laughs> it's whether you have faith enough to, to to weather a storm. So I look back on that situation and I go, it was it was tough. I know. From the outside, I think people thought it was much tougher, and, and, and trust me, it was. But um, I had faith that eventually everything would work its way out, and it, and it did. And then when I would look back, Brooke, really the things, and when I look and reflect of, of all the things that have happened to me, it was, it was not me. Yeah. I, I, I say purely by the grace of God, it was not me. 
I didn't, I, I didn't ask for great parents. I did not ask for to be healthy. I didn't ask for talent. I didn't ask for any of those things. But it appeared when I reflect that everything just fell into place for me. Yeah. And so when I got in those negative situations, it was easier for me to walk by faith and not by sight because I know, wait, he didn't, <laughs> he didn't put me in this, all these perfect situations that to have me fail. Right. He, like God didn't set you up for failure. Yeah. That's not in his nature. And so, yeah. So when I look back, I go, uh, you know, I can, I, I can weather anything because I, I, you know, I, I don't know if I share with you what my grandfather said. And yes, I, I don't know. Maybe that I should even say that. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I say it in the most, humble way. Absolutely. And then when I look back and reflect, it it appears that his words were prophetic, right? Yeah. My grandfather was uh, you know, um he was he was actually dying of cancer and um I ended up having this great football game and dedicating to him, um I scored five touchdowns, four on offense, one on defense, and it's still considered one of the greatest um we had a top 10 uh, sporting moments in the city of San Diego after all those years. Wow. And my cousin, uh, Reggie, who was a, I think he's retired now, but he was a police chief in Marin County, Reggie Lyles, had a conversation with my grandfather and he was talking uh, about his, you know, his, his grandchildren and, and, uh, he said, uh, you know, what about, you know, Harold and Harold would be fine in life. He, he's, Harold's just, he's got a great attitude. He's smart. He's conscientious. He'll be fine. And he mentioned my little cousin. Um, and, um, he said, well, you have to watch out for him. He, he's impressionable. And if he's around the wrong people, he can get in trouble. Well, he ended up getting in trouble and got incarcerated. So, and his words obviously rang true. And then he said, what about Marcus? And and, and my, my cousin uh, shared this with me. And he said, don't worry about Marcus. Marcus is anointed. Mm. Okay. And, and it almost makes me kind of like, you know, when I really think about it, it's like, wow. But all the things that have happened to me, yeah. All the things that I mentioned before, you know, having great parents and all these different things and having such a support group and then having talent on top of that and then having, you know, awareness and, and, and to, you know, to try, try to avoid pitfalls, but you don't. Even the pitfalls that you end up don't hurt you as badly as they possibly could have, you know. And then going from high school to USC as a defensive back, right, at tailback U, when I get there, all the running backs are hurt. They have nobody to back up the starter. So guess who gets asked to come over and play running back? Me. Yeah. And then the rest is sort of history. I mean, that doesn't just happen. That's to me. That's a plan. Yeah. And it wasn't mine. I mean, I, I certainly wanted to have a Heisman Trophy, but boy, 
you don't win it as a defensive back, you win it as a running back. Guess who got moved to running back? Yeah. Guess who won the Heisman Trophy? Yeah. And you saw the fulfillment I mean, of your dream that you had. Like yeah. you were prepping for that Heisman speech at 11 years old. And now you're Absolutely. seeing the fulfillment of that. But it was this right. divine plan all along from what your grandfather spoke over you to circumstance yes. um, in college. And that's, I mean, that's incredible. I mean, obviously, I mean, how lucky does a guy get <laughs> yeah. you the year that you're getting drafted, the team drafts you, moves to Los Angeles. So, I mean, I, I stayed in Los Angeles for 15 years, 11 with the Raiders and four with the Trojans. So my parents, they took that drive for 15 years, 100 miles away, which was like a joy to them, you know, as opposed to jumping on the plane. And go. I mean, it was, the, it was perfect. And I and and for fifteen years <laughs> to know where your parents sit, right. and to look at the stands and like they're there. Okay, let's play. That does that, that stuff just doesn't happen, you know. No, and, and that's why I say by the grace of God. I mean, it's like it's not by and listen. I mean, we can want a lot of things, but for them to happen, it's like wow, it's bigger than you. And 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 one of the reasons that I. I think I've done so well too is because it was never about me. The feeling of out of accomplishment was almost secondary to making wanting to make my parents proud. But making my parents proud was was the larger picture to give back to them uh, for all that they've done. Now they 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 did what they were supposed to do because they brought me into this world. I will do what I'm supposed to do because I brought my son into this world. Um, he didn't ask to come. I didn't ask to come, so they did what they're supposed to do. But it's always nice when <laughs> your kids understand that and they, you know, they go above and beyond to try to make uh, you um, feel great about um, taking care of them and stuff. So, Was it difficult in the spotlight to maintain personal relationships? Like, could, is there something that you would have changed or would have done better? Um, or Well, I was, I was always, um, again, it's growing up, right? Here's the thing. I was, I was always, when we were young and when I started to get attention um, at sports, I was very uncomfortable because uh, on occasion my parents would, I would say not my parents, my dad more than anybody because I'm fairly proud would always make a big deal out of me, right? And I never wanted to be um, singled out because it may be uncomfortable because they were talking about me and not the rest of my siblings. So I always deferred, um, <laughs> no, 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 not me. Or I would not, at times when I was growing up, I thought I was antisocial, but I wasn't. I just didn't want to be made a big deal out of and not my... My, my brothers and, and and my sister as well. So I um I wouldn't say have it, but I, I but I, I I understood that it was great, but I also understood that you know, it, it could cause uh, issues as well. And so I always looked at the larger picture that yeah, great, but it's not a big deal. 
so nothing was really sort of a big deal, even though, um, you know, when you're dealing with fame, I, I, I never saw myself as that large or big, you know, I, I, I love uh, doing what I did, but I love also to blend in. Yeah. So I didn't mind flying below the radar screen, so it made it easy. I wasn't seeking for attention. Was it was it hard to build and maintain relationships outside of your family? Because you had such a strong family dynamic. You were close. You know, you had your village. But then, you know, people are attract, People that aren't in fame or in the spotlight are attracted to that. And it, I mean, even if you weren't in the spotlight, you were, as we've said before, anointed. So like people, you're a magnet for people. So how was it um, maintaining and almost like sifting out the people that were just trying to get to you, but the people that wanted to build authentic relationship with you? Well, that, that really wasn't as hard because I, I, I've always had this intuition about people too. And I also believe, uh, you know, uh, either either spirits or or people are to be like synchronized swimmers. I mean, all the people that I I'm still friends with are just now. No one's perfect, but fundamentally, they're really good people. You, you 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 know it's 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 like you can't be around people that you know you don't have similarities. It just doesn't fit. Yeah. There's there's nothing that you can force it. And it you know it just won't work. So I always look at fundamental, fundamentally how people were and stuff. And and if we had some sort of uh, fundamental connection, uh, then we could be you know we could be friends. But if we didn't. And you, and I could sense that, so I can I can see if it was genuine, if it was forced, if it was just organic. I can see all those things. So that it really wasn't a, a, a big issue. That's and I and I didn't like to. Um, I wasn't a big partier. I like to hang. I like to go out. I, I didn't drink or I didn't do anything uh, like that. I mean, I like to go out and hang out with my friends. That was really it. So. To me, at least, something that stands out. Um, to me about you is just how giving you are. Um, you're a giver of like your time. I mean, you're giving your time this morning when you don't have to. Um, you're a giver of encouragement. Um, it just seems like that is w- what you embody. You know, I met you at an event where you're giving back, you're, you're helping people. So how did you, when you're going through and kind of it piggybacks off the the idea of what we we're talking about with like synchronized swimming and being around people that are like-minded. I think that's um, super interesting that you said that because I mean, I'm a firm believer in that verse of bad company corrupts good character. And it seems to me that you were um, again, trying to stay with people that had the same mindset as you. So how do you differentiate in, in a person if they're a giver or a taker and how do you want to um, kind of change that? Maybe in our society overall, but just in your your community yourself. Well, um, <laughs> when you come from uh, when you come from gratitude, when you when you think about you know again, I go back to why me? Why um, out of all the kids? Why was I given almost you know all these things? You can't help it, but you have to. To to to, um, to be in touch with uh, that you, you, you can't help actually give back 
because all those things are a reminder of how fortunate and lucky you are. I mean, so, you know, when you have an opportunity to to do something for others, it's really sort of a reminder of how fortunate you are. And it's, it's chicken soup for the soul. It really is. Um, as, as much as we do things for others, you, 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 you almost selfishly have to do it for yourself, too. And those, those are the things when you sort of understand lies and, 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 and how important things are that those are the things that really make you happy and make you tick and make you feel good. Uh, trophies don't do it anymore. You know? yeah. Now it's my son. I mean, obviously, he, you know, he brings so much joy to my life. But um, what you do for your fellow man is is the things that are lasting and, and and really important in life and gives you real purpose and value. And again, for me, it's a reminder, though, because, I mean, I look back and go, wow. I mean, again, why was I given the best parent, you know, to me, the best parent in the world? So we, we, we briefly talked about a little bit um, just about how God plays a role in all of this. Um, how old were you when you realized like there was something outside, there was something else going on, you know, there's something outside of you that is watching out for you that placed these parents in your life. You didn't ask for these parents. You didn't ask for your grandparents. You didn't ask for the perfect timing for doors to open for you to be a running back and a Heisman Trophy winner. So at what point in your life did you realize, okay, there's something outside of myself and that God was your anchor? Well, you're doing things, you know, as young as age 13, but you don't really sort of really, you know, think about it as much. But I guess when I was 18, when the situation with my grandfather, when he um, was dying and then I dedicated the game to him and then I played the most magical game you could ever play and and um, and what joy that brought to him. How do you take that into your marriage and into your relationships? You know, you, you said that your son looks up to you and sees the way that you treat um, your wife, his mom. Um, so what are some of the, like the challenges that you might face, but also what are the things that shaped you to bring that into a healthy marriage? Well, I, I, I got to tell you, it is, um, to, today it's, it's always challenging. Um, when I look back on my, my, my parents and, um, the fact that they're still together, um, it'll be, I think, June will be 61 years. Wow. 51 years? 61. Oh, 61. Even? Yeah. Oof. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, what that says is that when there is love and when there's a commitment and, and, and when there is, and, and it doesn't mean that there's not going to be tough times. Um, it, it doesn't mean that there's going to be challenges. Not going to be challenges. I mean, again, life is not just a, a bed of roses. I mean, it's just not, you know, uh, everything is just smooth sailing. There's going to be rough seas sometimes. And I, I think the, um, the, the, the number one thing that was love, um, and friendship, uh, and communication, which I, which I have to be better at. I'm not, not, 
I'm not, I'm not the greatest uh, communicator at times and stuff like that, but um, I'm with a, a wonderful person who has, um, she has um, great patience with me and stuff. And I mean, even, you know, at my age, we're, we're, we're men or men, or men. We're, we're, even though I say I'm emotionally available, I'm, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still, you know, stuck in my ways and stuff like that. And so she's, she's been fantastic. Uh, but we, 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 we understand that, um, you know, it's, yeah, we're in it for the long haul and that, uh, you know, every, every day is not going to be perfect, but, um, it's, um, it's a journey we both want to take and we both want to live and enjoy. So that's really it. You're in it for the commitment. What's one of your favorite things about your wife? Uh, that, that she loves me with, uh, <laughs> that she really loves me and that she loves me so much. She wants me to be a better person that, um, and she wants the best for me. She wants me to be better than I am. And you got to love somebody that wants that for you. What is something that maybe like a silly thing? Like, are you one of those people that forgets to put your laundry in the hamper? Like what's something like super like silly that she's had to tell you time and time again? Like Marcus, come on. Oh, she's, she's, she's on the, all the time. I mean, when she, she is a, um, she she cleans like you would not believe. <laughs> my girl, my girl. <laughs> she she and 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 we're not messy messy, but she you know she says we're messy. We're not messy. I, I think I'm really I think I'm a clean person because again it goes back to fundamental. You cannot be a a, a clean person live with somebody who's you know who's a messy person. You just fundamentally can't do it. No. It would drive you crazy. Am I correct? Yeah, would, so those yeah. are the things I'm talking about. Think when I was swimming, you know. Did you know and, and she was the one? When I know she was the one, when I first saw her. Woo, Marcus. Yeah, when I first saw. Her. Were you nervous? Was I nervous? No. I feel like you were. I like felt like you were going to say that. From everything I've gathered from you today, that you were not going to be nervous about a girl. That no. was going to be the thing. Uh-huh. No, I was I was not nervous when I first saw her. I, I said we were going to be together. Oh wow! Okay, so when now, your son it, grows up, it took up, a little time for that to happen, but we were right. When your son yeah. grows up, what type of girl would you want him to date? Well, you didn't know this is a dating talk show. I tricked you. No, I did. A really good, fundamentally good girl. I think that's I think that's so important, um, and and someone who really I mean, not loves you but really likes you, yeah, and likes everything about you, um, and, and and doesn't want to change who you are. I think that's doesn't um, want to put you down, but also like you said, like your wife, she makes you want to be a better person. So it's that yeah. somebody that she, pushes she, you. She's always pushed me to be a better person. And that's one of the things that I appreciate about her more than anything. So wow. I see myself as a good person. She sees myself as an even better person. So and she's always trying to push me to that. So. Well, Marcus, I don't want to take up more of your time. I'm, I really appreciate and I'm very humbled that you came on my show. 
Um, and just one last thing, what's something that you want people to take away? What's that write it down? What's, I mean, we've talked a lot about family dynamic and confidence and, you know, timing of, of God and, but what's something that you're like, all right, I want people to take this away, um, from this discussion. Okay. Write this down. Write it down. A free, a free lunch costs a dollar ninety nine. Meaning, there's nothing free in this world. If you want it, you've got to go get it. Write it down. Marcus Allen. Thank you for listening to the Write It Down podcast. This podcast is a part of the 1513 Network. You can catch a variety of shows on their website, 1513.com. If you enjoy listening to Write It Down, please subscribe, share with your friends, and if there's any ink left in your pen, write a review. For more content, follow the fun on Instagram by following at W-I-D-P-O-D. That spells WIDPOD. Super cool. Stands for Write It Down Podcast, but it's abbreviated to WIDPOD. Anyways, thanks for listening, and we will catch you later.